to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, COVID, anything that's relatable to these topics. Speaking of which, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please go to the page, the webpage for the show on the voiceamerica.com site. And underneath the graphic for the show, there is a button that says send the host an email. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything I get. If you want to promote or talk about a product or service you offer, please feel free. You can reach me the same way and I can get you some information on some advertising. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, BoastAssessment.com, that allows you to self-assess your business continuity management programs and allow you to focus your resources where you need to, to boost up your scores. Now, today's show, as many of you may have heard over the last six, seven months, if not even longer, I was talking about participating with the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, which was the... Uh, early October, October 7th and 8th, if I recall correctly. And I said that we would be trying to get some of the guests that were uh, speakers at the conference. And today I was lucky enough uh, to get one of the keynote speakers. And I also want to add that not only was she a keynote speaker at CRT, but she has a new book out. And you all know how much of a big reader I am. Her book arrived uh, on my desk here on Friday. I just haven't had the chance to read it yet, unfortunately. But I'd like to welcome to the show the author of Gloom to Boom, How Leaders Transform Risk into Resilience and Value, and a keynote speaker from the CRT conference, Andrea Bonenblanc. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure. And congratulations on the book, because I know it just came out, right? It's it's really new. It came out this year. Yeah, at the beginning, it was the publishing date was November 2019, but it uh, pretty much hit the book stand, so to speak, early this year. Yeah, and as I said, I did get it on Friday, so unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to to read it yet. But I have uh, gone through, and there, there's lots of great information in there. I might have to get you in on a second show just to dig down on some of these uh, details <laughs> that you've got in here. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, it was a labor of love, or or as my family might put it, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, now I know who you are um, because of the keynote speaker, and you know, and I've got your book. Could you give us a, a short couple of minutes a bio on yourself, what you do, how you got to where you are, and how you got into the industry you're in? Of course, I appreciate that. So, yeah, um, what I do today is I um, am a strategist for companies, for nonprofits, and for government agencies on what I would call all things. Um, uh, ESG and T, so environmental, social governance, and technology topics, and, and we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, because that's part of what I talked about at the keynote and uh, core part of my book. 
But basically, I help boards of directors and executive teams uh, of any kind of company, really, think about how do they integrate all of these non-financial but really important issues, risks and opportunities into their business strategy, their long-term planning, et cetera. And it's all with a view to creating resilience, organizational resilience, um, sustainability, and that, uh, that sort of thing. I arrived here by way of um, many twists and turns in my professional career. I started as a lawyer on Wall Street many moons ago, and then I uh, progressively entered uh, executive roles in companies where I was a general counsel, and then I moved more and more towards business ethics, corporate responsibility, risk management, um, information security. So I ended up doing uh, what I call all things non-financial within the companies that I worked for. And as you can tell, I have a, a siren behind me here, which uh, uh, just underscores where I live, which is New York City. And, and sadly, we have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, alarm bells that go off lately because we're we're starting to enter our second wave of COVID. But um, so, so my career basically moved from, from Wall Street lawyer to uh, business ethics, corporate responsibility, risk management. I did a lot of crisis management as well for the companies that I worked for. And then I started my own uh, business uh, consulting uh, from the outside looking in, helping organizations think about these things. Uh, and I've written a lot over the years. Uh, Goom to Boom is my fifth book. Um, and maybe my last because it's the longest and, and most uh, work that I've had to do, uh, 480 pages. So uh, for those who are thinking of, of buying it, um, buyer beware. <laughs> you may not want to have to absorb that much. But um, And I certainly appreciate that you're interested in it, Alex. Um, but, yeah, so that's sort of the arc of my career. And then I sit on a few boards. And I um, do a lot of pro bono work with uh, some of my boards as well, Cyber Future Foundation, uh, on the advisory board of a really cool uh, company that does interesting um, internet, um, deep web and dark web, uh, social media, uh, risk, early risk, uh, risk uh, warning systems. It's called CRISP. It's UK-based. Um, and then just, you know, doing a lot of teaching a lot of educating. I do some work at NYU. I'm a professor teaching cyber resilience there. So I'll, I'll shut up now so we can talk about other things. <laughs> you wear many hats, that's for sure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, maybe too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump straight into uh, you know your presentation and, and your book. Um, We've got three sections that we're going to touch on today. And the first one is uh, you talk about the 10 megatrends of our turbulent times. So what did you mean by that? And what are some of those uh, megatrends that uh, we're experiencing right now? Yeah, you know, so I, I wrote the book, even though the book was published in late 2019, um, I wrote it basically the the two previous uh, summers, um, the summer of 2018, and, uh, you know, finalized the book in 2019. And one of the things that I had noticed um, that, that really intrigued me is, is the fact that we're going through a lot of change, and there's certain things that go beyond sort of the yearly or the quarterly changes that we're experiencing or that businesses, for example, focus on, you know, the quarterly returns, short-term things. There's some big long-term things that are going on that may be a little different from what we've experienced before. And so I wanted to... Uh, underscore those as the context of our times, you know, makes it much more, I think, uh, possible to 
solve some of the complex risks that we're confronting and crises that we're confronting um, if we understand the context of our time. So I was trying to frame, uh, and it's actually the first chapter in my book, um, frame where we are in sort of a multi-year trend, big trends kind of a context. Um, and so that, that was the method to the madness. Um, and then I just, you know, in that first chapter, which is called Gloom, the 10 Megatrends of Our Turbulent Times, in that chapter, I lay out the 10 megatrends, and I try to... Everything I do in this book is backed up by data, by, um, you know, well-known uh, sources, whether it's World Economic Forum, UN uh, Sustainability, uh, Sustainable Goals, um, you know, the Cambridge uh, Center for Existential Studies. There's just a, a number of really great resources that I relied upon uh, for a lot of the things that I say in the book, um, obviously it's not all in my head. It's it's something that other people have been thinking about and doing, and and solving too. So so that's the context of the of the ten megatrends. Now, what what is a megatrend? Because a trend is a trend, and uh, to me, you know, a trend is something that you know comes and then eventually goes. So, what's a megatrend? Right. Well, as I said, you know, I, I see it as something much more pervasive and bigger, um, something that's enveloping us, basically. Um, and so I can give you a couple of examples to, to sort of yeah, illustrate please. what I'm talking about. Uh, the very first one that I, that I mentioned uh, draws on the concept from the World Economic Forum of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And my subtitle to it is Hurtling Through Space at the Speed of Light. Uh, and it's really trying to underscore um, that we're living in an unparalleled technological disruption and technological change um, and invention. And so we are in a time where things are being discovered and implemented that you know, at a rate and at a, um, a volume, I think, uh, unseen un, uh, before. And so, you know, the fourth industrial revolution means that um, we're entering a time which, which they characterize as the barriers between man and machine are dissolving sort of the singularity issue that um, that some have identified where man and machine become one maybe by 2050 or something like that. But it's a, a time that started already, you know, where I'm wearing a pair of AirPods in my ears. Maybe next time we talk, I'll have a chip implanted in my head and we'll talk through that, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> heaven forfend, as they say. Um, but the, the pace and the volume of change is just breathtaking. And, you know, there's good associated with that and not so good, depending on who's deploying the technology. And, uh, you know, if you look at the three previous industrial revolutions, um, they took place one at a time for each century preceding uh, this century. Now we're like 50 years into the last revolution, which is, uh, you know, they identify as being 1969, uh, and it's all about computers and electronics and the Internet. Um, here we are, you know, less than 50 years uh, going on um, this barrier of man and machine dissolving. So it's a big, big trend. It's multi-year, but it's also happening at the speed of light, as I like to say. So that's Is one, our of the, one of Go the megatrends. Yeah. Is our change occurring so no. fast that, you know, it's, how do I, how do I say this? Um, because I, I'm looking at your presentation and I see, you know, the, the different, economic uh, industrial revolutions we have and um 
change the change you just went through is happening faster and faster and faster. Is there a point where change is happening too fast that it's almost impossible to keep up, that it's going to cause chaos? I, I think we're kind of in there. You know, I think um, because some of this change is taking place so fast, to think of AI, for example, and the use of mm-hmm. algorithms um, to, you know, program all kinds of things, um, that kind of change is taking place super fast, too, without consideration at the inception, for example, of ethical issues or of diversity and inclusion issues. And so one of the big complaints about um, algorithms is that they're created by uh, a a bunch of young men sitting in Silicon Valley um, instead of a diverse group of people. And that's changing, but by having a certain group of society, very limited and very privileged group in society creating um, momentous technological products and services that may not take into account um, the fact that the world is diverse, um, that there's two genders, that there's multiple um, multiple ethnic backgrounds and, and geographical locations, can create a biased algorithm which will then uh, not serve the interest of, of, of all people who might be using it. Um, and so I think um, there's a rush to getting things done and to uh, developing the new products and services that are technology-based, but uh, we're not always thinking about some of the ethical, diversity, um, you know, more important sort of human humanity kinds of um, issues that are involved. And so I think there's a danger there uh, that we are moving too fast and not, not checking before we, we release it into the, into the uh, wilderness, so to speak. That's interesting because uh, artificial intelligence is emerging as a key topic in the you know disaster recovery business continuity world. So it's interesting to hear uh, a different perspective, like uh, what you mentioned about diversity and you know um, the different languages and the different backgrounds people have. How that all has to come into play. It's not a simple. Uh, you know, pressing a button, you know, and end up with a an answer like an algorithm that runs and gives you an answer. Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the, I think one of the solutions or one of the checks and balances that's really important to maintain throughout this uh, rapid, a time of rapid technological change is that we need to have very diverse, cross-functional, cross-disciplinary, multiple expert kinds of teams with their eyes on the new technology that's being developed at the time of development so that uh, there's a holistic um, approach to this creation of new products and services so that, you know, you have uh, the lawyers, uh, the financial people, the technological people, the ethicists, all looking at what the engineer is doing. Um, And so uh, I think that's going to be a really important part of of what's next in this world is is having those diverse uh, integrated teams of people working together to come up with the right solutions. Of course, that's an idealistic, um, you know, wish, I suppose, because most people who are in startups or businesses are focused on the bottom line and and creating new products and getting them out the door. And people don't want to spend the money and time uh, to do it right sometimes. And so there's a real tension there with the business model of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, get things out fast and, and let's make money. It, it almost sounds one of those instances, you know, just because we have the capability to do it doesn't mean we should do it. 
Right. And, and you know, I'm not even touching on uh, sort of the bad actors that are out there. You know, if you start yeah. going into the cyber field um, and uh, what can be done virtually uh, through cyber attacks, um, clearly there are good actors out there who are trying to do the right things, defending, protecting, what have you. Um, there are multiple bad actors out there who uh, don't give a, uh, excuse my English, a rat's ass um, about uh, protecting, defending. Uh, in fact, they're there to uh, inflict carnage and and uh, steal and, and cripple and do the kinds of things that, that we're seeing happen in the cyber world right now, even through this pandemic. We're getting uh, a huge increase in ransomware that's being targeted against healthcare providers and hospitals and, uh, you know, seriously um, critical uh, areas that should not be attacked, but because there are bad actors out there who can, um, you know, get their hands on uh, the technology they need to do these cyber attacks, um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're living through a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a good spot to end our first segment today. We are talking with Continuity and Resilience Today conference keynote speaker and author of Gloom to Boom, Andrea Bonin-Blanc. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Continuity and Resilience Today conference keynote speaker and author of Gloom to Boom, 
How Leaders Transform Risk into Resilience and Value, Andrea Bonin Blanc. Andrea, great first segment. Um, I know we only talked about one megatrend. Uh, and like I said, during the break, I think uh, in the new year, I'll be reaching out and have you come back and maybe we'll talk about a couple of other ones because um, I, I found okay. that AI stuff really interesting. Um, now let's move to the uh, next section of uh, your, your book and your presentation, The Rise of ESGT. What is that? Okay. Um, so many of your uh, listeners, I'm sure, um, have heard of ESG because it's a topic that's gotten very hot, especially lately in the United States. Um, uh, North America in general, I think uh, maybe Canada has been a little bit ahead of the U.S., but the Europeans certainly have. And the ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And those are um, three categories of issues, risks, and opportunities that companies, especially when you're talking about business, companies um, haven't been in, in incorporating, integrating as, um, as systematically and proactively uh, as they should, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Um, but they are increasingly doing that because they're getting a lot of pressure from important stakeholders like investors. So especially for publicly traded companies, um, uh, you know, who are subject to analysts and uh, investment firms, uh, asset managers, etc. They're thinking about ESG much more than they used to, although the European companies have been talking about it and doing this for much longer for the last two decades or so. But in the last three to four years, it's really risen in the United States, uh, thanks in great part to Larry Fink, the chairman and CEO of BlackRock, who started writing his annual letter to CEOs about three years ago, saying, guys, you got to start thinking about the ESG issues. We want to see what you're doing on environmental topics, on social issues such as workers' uh, compensation, uh, human rights, um, conditions, et cetera, and governance issues. And so that's become a lot more top of mind for businesses, not just publicly traded, also privately held companies. And um, what I've done uh, to add the T for technology is to say to everybody, okay, ESG, yes, all the way. I've been working on this for like 25 years in one form or another uh, in my career as a, a former uh, corporate executive and now as a consultant. Um, and so, yes, ESG has been there all along, but you guys have to incorporate the technology piece as well into this equation, because when you're talking about your portfolio of issues that are ESG issues, if you fail to think about the technology issues that are all over the place right now, uh, suffusing our day-to-day -day life, um, in fact, now with the pandemic, even more so with, uh, you know, remote working and use of uh, equipment, uh, iPhones, uh, you know, uh, uh, laptops, um, all kinds of remote uh, communication. These are all things that affect uh, our day-to-day -day business. So they're also very much integrated with the uh, environmental, social, and governance issues as well. So the whole point really is that we have to think of the ESG plus T issues holistically. We need to think about them as risk, as part of risk management, and also as part of opportunity management. So that's the method to the madness. So, if you're adding technology to this ESG, can you give us an example you know, when it comes to environment? What kind of technology issues are are involved with environment? Are we talking office environment or so, are we actually talking like outdoors environment? Yeah, we can talk about, you know, any level of environmental issues, whether it's water issues, 
um, uh, air uh, issues, waste issues, technology uh, intersects with these issues. I, there was a great example I just saw recently um, of a um, drone, uh, AI-driven drone that was able to count, and I can't remember exactly how many billions of trees that nobody could count before that lay within the Sahara Desert, which is an enormous footprint, geographical footprint, as you as you know. And um, nobody really knew that there were this many trees within the Sahara, but they're kind of dispersed all over the place. So this AI-driven drone was able to find that, and that says something that gives environmental um, uh, you know, analysts and, and scientists uh, information that they otherwise didn't have, and it might also lead to some solving of some problems, perhaps, um, uh, having to do with drought or having to do with uh, water availability. Uh, who knows? And I'm not a scientist, so I don't, uh, I'm not going to uh, presume to know what the answers or the, the issues are. But, but, you know, so that's one example. I'll give you another example. Um, with the pandemic and work from home, uh, the cyber attack issue has become much more pervasive and concerning because until the pandemic happened, all of our work lives were either in the office or in the factory or on the road. And now all of our work lives, almost all of us, except the people on the front lines of, uh, you know, the, the forward services, um, are working from home. And so, the cyber uh, warriors out there, the the, the malign actors, um, suddenly realize well all those defenses that the companies had for their uh, for their uh, you know corporate headquarters and other office buildings now maybe aren't as uh, effective because everybody's working from home, so they're working through uh, you know unsecured uh, networks or VPNs or home offices. And so suddenly the IP of a company, the intellectual property or some other crown jewels um, can be accessed via somebody's home computer system. And so, again, technology intersecting with the protection of assets, uh, which would be a governance issue, could be a social issue. So one of the things that I, I like to talk about, and I talk about this really throughout this the central part of the book, is the, the sort of intersecting of these issues. While an issue might be primarily one thing, it has effects and intersection uh, interrelationships uh, with um, other kinds of issues. So there, there seems to be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but these ESG uh, issues, risks and issues that you identified, they can overlap, correct? Because your your first exactly. example, the one with the, the drone and the counting the trees in the Sahara, which is, wow, it floored me. My jaw actually hit the floor, like, really? You can do that? <laughs> you know, but that, that kind of, you know, that's technology, looking at the environment and, you know, finding where these trees are or clusters of trees and, you know, possibly water, that society. So these ESGTs, the, they can overlap, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I actually have diagrams for that in my book, showing that it's like a Venn diagram, you know, an issue uh, may be primarily a social issue or a governance issue, but it has potentially, you know, uh, environmental or technology implications. And so I, I'm just trying to get people to think about these kinds of issues more systematically and also more holistically in the sense that um, there are other reverberations. And the reason 
to thinking about all of this, of course, is that it affects your business planning, it affects your resilience, it affects your stakeholders, whether it's your employees or your customers or your supply chain. So the more you know, the better prepared you are and going to the point of the whole you know, business uh, continuity um, and resilience uh, themes of the conference, um, this is all about building long-term resilience, being able to be prepared for those times when there are downturns, and this year clearly was a perfect storm of that um, with the pandemic and, and all the other reverberations that got, have gone with it. And so, um, you know, I think the more that uh, business executives and, and any kind of uh, executive team, it can be for a nonprofit organization, it can be for a government agency, a university, it doesn't really matter. Um, the more they think about these issues in a systematic, proactive way, the better prepared they will be for the risk management piece of it, the crisis management piece of it, the resilience, long-term business continuity piece of it, uh, as well as, and, and this is one of the key points in my book, the opportunity and innovation piece of it. Because if you know certain things, you can actually create better services and products because you've actually factored that risk or factored that issue into the design of your product or service. So just to take that a little little uh, bit further, um, because you mentioned cyber, I guess by identifying these risks and opportunities, it's not just the good guys who can you know identify these uh, opportunities, but as we identify more risks and opportunities for ourselves to move forward, the bad guys, you know, um, can also find opportunity in this, right? Absolutely, and and that's why I think. You know, it's kind of a, uh, it's a c- continuous warfare, if you want to look at it that way, uh, in the sense that we can't just let them get away with uh, finding the opportunity to damage, uh, you know, uh, a legitimate player, um, whether it's a business or uh, a citizen or a government. Um, and so we need to be prepared, and if nothing else, uh, be prepared for the bad guys to use things in, in nefarious and, and damaging ways. And cyber, sadly, is, is an area where a lot of that is taking place, but it's taking place in other uh, respects as well. I mean, um, AI, uh, for you know, if you've got the wrong people, terrorist groups, others using AI um, to uh, develop weapons or to develop data collection uh, for nefarious purposes, that can be just as damaging. So are, are there uh, any other kind of examples um, going on today that you know people could relate to? Because I know in your presentation you had a, um, a whole bunch of different ones here. You even had one with Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, uh, yeah, I had sort of a wheel of issues that I was rolling out uh, and describing. And the purpose of that was really to show that there are Again, going back to that Venn diagram of uh, something can be mostly an environmental issue, but it has a very strong social component. So let me give you, an, again, another very topical uh, current issue, which is the issue of um, environmental destruction of uh, ecological habitat. One of the things that scientists are saying this year is that part of the reason why we, we've seen the viruses jump from one species, mainly bats in this case, to another, meaning humans, uh, in terms of the coronavirus. Um, the reason that's happening is partly because the 
woods and, and, and ecological habitats where these animals live and, and thrive are being destroyed and, and humans are encroaching on those habitats and therefore humans, and in this case bats, who happen to carry a ton of viruses apparently, um, bats and humans get into closer contact, bats are being used uh, as, as food by humans, and so the possibility of a, of a very serious virus like coronavirus jumping to the human uh, species uh, becomes much more common. And in fact, they're saying that it's something that's going to happen more and more often. So this is ec- ecological or environmental jumping over to social, meaning uh, the human uh, you know, population, which then has all kinds of social consequences, meaning uh, pandemic, meaning health and safety and all kinds of other reverberations in terms of economic consequences, plus governance consequences both at the company level, all these companies uh, have had to develop new ways of doing business. Uh, their boards have had to change completely the way they're, um, you know, working with uh, oversight of, of management. Um, and, you know, I could go on and on, but the whole point is that these things are very interconnected and companies and businesses that are not prepared uh, to understand that this is part of, of the world that we live in are not going to survive. They're not going to be able to. And some who are prepared and who are able to pivot um, are surviving and thriving and doing better than their competitors or their, uh, you know, other peers. It's interesting the way you you just described that is, you know, we're taking all these fantastic steps forward, you know, with AI and all all these other different things uh, that you mentioned. But at the same time, we're creating some of our own problems. By taking, you know, For destroying sure. some yeah. of the environments that are out there, you know, where what's well, exactly. the, uh, you know, one once I'm not sure if it's two steps forward, one step back, or you know, one step forward, two steps back. I hope it's the former because um, uh, I really think, you know, I think most humans uh, want progress. Most humans want to do the right thing, but you know, one of the things that I've learned um, from being in the risk world is that very few people are built to think about long-term risk. They may be able to, to you know, uh, deal with short-term risk, what's sort of in front of them or, you know, a couple of days down the road, but they have a very difficult time dealing with long-term risk and, and sort of factoring that, that into their behavior. And climate change, unfortunately, is one of these long-term risks with devastating consequences, which can have, you know, very immediate consequences if you happen to be in the path of a hurricane or, you know, in the path of flooding and that sort of thing. Um, but people don't normally think about the long term. They think about the, the short term. And so it's hard for us as, as a human um, population uh, to get behind climate uh, change policies, um, although I think we're starting to. But I, I believe in the one step forward, the two steps forward, one step back, and I think that's kind of what we've lived through in the last few years with the U.S. Uh, leaving the Paris Climate uh, Accord and, um, you know, denying that this is an issue. Uh, hopefully, with, with the new administration coming in, uh, we can repair some of that uh, step backward uh, and, and move a couple of steps forward again. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I, I, sometimes I think it's because, you know, using climate change as an example is, you know, if it ever gets, to, uh, let's say, to the point where, quote unquote fixed we're not going to be here 
you know, it's so far in the future that I'm not even going to be here. So why worry about it now? Well, yeah, and and hopefully we do care about our uh, generations, the younger generations that are emerging. You know, our kids, grandkids. Um, you know, even though we may not be here, uh, they will be here. And do we do we want them to live in a world that's burning uh, or a world that uh, where the iceberg iceberg melting is flooding uh, coastal cities and locations? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I remember my uh, granddad telling me, you know, part of his role was to leave a better world for, you know, his kids and his grandkids. And I'm not so sure that's still a predominant feeling today. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you know. Yeah, I think we're living in a very, as I say, you know, very changeable time and a lot of things are shifting and including the way humans are behaving and thinking. And I think technology has a lot to do with that. It's confusing us. It's um, destabilizing us. It's uh, putting us off kilter, and so we're yeah. not always thinking about what's best for for mankind or humankind. We're thinking more about our immediate gratification. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's a, a great spot to end our second segment today. We are talking with Continuity and Resilience Today conference keynote speaker and author of Gloom to Boom: How Leaders Transition Risk into Resilience and Value. Andrea Bonin Blanc, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there. It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Continuity and Resilience Today keynote speaker and author of Gloom to Boom, Andrea Bonin-Blanc. 
Andrea, another great uh, segment there, segment two. Lots of uh, good information about ESGT. So um, definitely going to have to have you back to talk about some of that stuff. Um, the third segment, uh, that this one we're going to talk about, is uh, the role of leaders. Can you tell us a little bit more, more about that, You know how they transform ESGT sure. risks into resilience and value, which seem yeah. to be two big things Absolutely. in our industry right now? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, so it took me a while to sort of develop some of these thoughts, but, um, you know, when, when we had the turn of the century, and some of, some of you may not have been uh, around as professionals at the time, but I was, um, we had some of these really large-scale scandals taking place, Enron, WorldCom, Parmalat in, in Europe, Adelphi, um, a whole bunch of huge scandals, and then we had a few more happen of course, during the financial uh, crisis of 2008-2009, lots of huge um, crises, uh, lots of uh, consequences on stakeholders, mainly employees and pensioners who lost their investments. And I was always fascinated by what, what is, why is this happening? And when I looked at some of the, the you know, the storylines and the data around some of these scandals, one theme kept coming up, and it really became sort of almost an obsession for me. Um, it was really about leadership and culture in each of these organizations. You would have an imperial CEO, a board that was asleep at the switch, um, you know, a rubber stamping board controlled by the CEO, who's also the chairman. So you had these stories of very powerful, and they were mostly men, there's some women too, but very powerful CEOs uh, dominating their companies and pushing their companies sometimes um, to, to the edges of the law, but uh, often beyond. And uh, it was all driven by a sense of, of greed and power and influence. And so I got really interested in reading about these people and understanding them. And then I came across this great book, small little book that I just happened to come across, uh, called The Sociopath Next Door by a psychologist called Martha Stout. Uh, back in like 2003, four, something like that, I, I came across this book. And it's a short but really impactful to me um, study of um, her patients who were sociopaths. So that kind of put me down a road of understanding what does sociopathy really mean in the context of business, in the context of leadership. And I, I read some more about that. And, you know, one of the, the things that really struck me is that 4% of the average um, human population might be sociopaths. But there are studies that have been done that show that much more than that are in leadership roles, maybe 16 18%, maybe more. And that explains to a certain extent why we have these really um, not great leaders sometimes, not only in business, but in government, um, who are uh, people who don't cater to their stakeholders. They're very self-centered, narcissistic, et cetera. And then there was another study, and I put all this in, my, um, in the leadership chapter of my book, um, another set of studies on hubris, what's, what's called the hubris uh, syndrome, um, by a UK-based uh, think tank called the Daedalus Trust. And they, too, um, looked at a lot of um, characteristics that go with um, some of these leaders who seem to be out of touch, who think that they're, uh, you know, the, to, to, uh, to my Canadian friends who speak French, they passed in moi kind of a feeling of, you know, I'm invulnerable, I believe my own stuff, uh, people are sycophantic towards them. So 
between those two things, um, it, it explains a lot about bad behavior and leadership at, at the corporate level. Um, and then I was looking also at some of the great leaders, you know, how, what, what makes them tick and, and what do they do? And these are leaders who are thinking about their uh, surroundings, their, their, their stakeholders, employees, customers. Um, you know, there are examples like Howard Schultz from Starbucks, the founder of Starbucks, he kept uh, really drilling uh, into his company and into his culture, and, and, it, and it was borne out that if you treat your employees really well, everything else falls into place because then the customer gets treated well. And so, you know, what differentiates leaders was really, really important to me, and that translates into my whole topic, which is how do you create uh, added value where um, these ESG plus T topics, the risks and the opportunities are included in the business strategy and build the resilience that you want. And it's really these better leaders, you know, these leaders who have, for you know, lack of a better word, emotional intelligence, um, who understand their stakeholders and go beyond just the, the narrow, let's make the most money possible, let's incentivize people to make the most money possible. Let's also incentivize them to think about, um, you know, how we're making that money. Are we being ethical? Are we being corporate responsi- corporately responsible to our stakeholders, et cetera? So I'll, I'll stop now so you can get it worth edgewise, but <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the foundation. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because I think this might have been where you were going, but you know, a lot of leaders, especially in today's culture, um, and I don't just mean government leaders, but you know, corporate leaders, et cetera, they're told you know, their measure of success is the bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. so, so how can you, uh, you know, and that if, if the bottom line looks good, you're, you've got value, but that's not always true from, you know, from, you know, the things that uh, you, you've said and, and, uh, things you're writing about that, you know, would that be correct to say that, you know, the, to show value, you've got to show more than just what's on the bottom line and how do you do that? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, that goes back to some of the things that Larry Fink is trying to do, I think, uh, by incentivizing um, CEOs to think about corporate purpose and stakeholders beyond just the revenue and the profit and loss uh, of the of the business. Um, because I think the, you know, the equation, certainly for me, and I think for people like Fink and others, is that if you are fully aware of your stakeholders' expectations, not just your shareholders. And this goes to the whole concept that's developing that uh, stakeholder capitalism concept. But if you're thinking about those stakeholders, mainly the most important ones to your business, meaning employees, customers, maybe a few others like supply chain, regulators, if you're thinking about what their expectations are of your organization, um, it goes beyond just making money. It goes into being a good um, social uh, corporate citizen. It goes into being a good community um, member. It goes into treating the environment properly. Um, you know, the commons that, that you use, um, the social goods that you get as a company. Uh, it, it means treating these things with respect, uh, not abusing them through pollution or um, human rights abuses or some other kinds of violations, corruption, fraud. Um, and so, the expectations of those stakeholders are, are starting to be baked in. And the more you do that, and there's studies coming out, I mean, there's a number um, of, you know, uh, really interesting things that are coming out from McKinsey, 
from Catalyst, from um, a whole bunch of other organizations that are looking at ESG uh, companies performing better than non-ESG companies, so companies that actually have a program and a systematic approach uh, are creating more long-term value for their shareholders. So at the end of the day, incorporating this stuff into your business model actually creates more value for your shareholders. And I think that that is the, the point here, that it's not actually creating less value or equal value. It's creating potentially more value for your shareholders to do this. More uh, like a comprehensive value, not just looking at the the bottom line, right? It's not just value yeah, isn't just I mean, a number. There actually are stock, uh, you know, there's um, uh, stock performance studies that show that companies that have proactive, formalized ESG programs uh, and sustainability programs are actually outperforming from a stock appreciation standpoint, companies that don't have it. So it, it actually goes back to financial value. It creates more financial value as well as other kinds of values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we create resilience then? That's the other part you talked about. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that to me is one of the ultimate um, things that I'm trying to convey through the book. And it's in my one of the last chapters of the book. I have a model of organizational resilience that I offer, which is really um, what do you need to have internally within your company, your business, your organization, that will provide the resilience that you need to not only survive some of these risks and stakeholder expectations and business disruptions, et cetera, that are taking place and will continue to take place. Not just about survival, it's about actually getting to a place of uh, rolling with the punches and creating more value. And so I have eight elements that I spell out in, in this um, in this model that are pretty intuitive. Um, I think of them in a sort of semi-hierarchical way in the sense that I think some are, are really precede others in terms of importance. So I start with governance, uh, having to be really good governance at the top from the board and from the leadership. I continue with a sense of a culture for the employees and the organization that is an empowered ethical culture that allows speak up. It talks about knowing who your stakeholders are and treating them properly. Uh, It's having a really good risk uh, management, enterprise risk management system in place that takes into account the ESG and T issues. Then baking that into the strategy of the organization is really, really critical. And then having things like uh, performance management that doesn't just measure financial objectives, but also some of these values, some of these uh, ESG and T things. How do you treat the environment? How do you uh, treat each other um, in, in the business uh, sense. Uh, crisis readiness is critically important to this as well. And then finally, when you have all these elements, you are also in a much better place to do continuous improvement and to learn from your mistakes and even to create new value by improving your products and services. Would that also encompass things like, because um, you mentioned crisis uh, leadership, uh, like lessons learned when you do have a, a trip up? You know, learning what went well, what didn't Big go time. well, what you should continue doing and not Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Kind of Absolutely. Do you have any thoughts in on fact, that? That's where, uh, no, go ahead. Crisis management and innovation, to me, are very much uh, uh, connected because if you do learn from your crisis and your risk, and you can then bake that back into your processes, your people uh, uh, 
policies and also your products and services, uh, you're actually creating value. Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, we only have about four minutes left. Do you, would you like to take uh, you know a minute or two with some final thoughts? Of course, yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, um, to me, this is uh, you know, this, we're in a complex world, but I think if you have certain elements in place, like powerfully, um, you know, ethical, high integrity leadership, meaning people. You know, there are a couple of great examples I often refer to, like Satya Nadella of Microsoft and Paul Pullman of Unilever, who, uh, you know, really was a trailblazer in a lot of this um, sort of ESG, uh, baking it into the organization and into the products and services. If you have those kinds of leaders that are also um, creating the, the culture that allows to speak up and problem solving and that sort of thing, you can then really... Um, build not only the resilience that you need over time to withstand some of the crises that come, you can also really put uh, these learnings, these improvements into creating more value for your stakeholders, including your shareholders. And so I think um, we live in a very, very complex, uh, multi-crisis kind of a world. This is not going to stop anytime soon. We're in the middle of this big pandemic right now. And sadly, I think there will be more of these kinds of pandemics, and no doubt we have climate uh, crises uh, galore around the world that, that are not going away, plus the cyber and technology crises. So we have a lot of crises on our hands, but that doesn't mean that we can't become agile and prepared. And so um, I would uh, exhort people to, uh, to really support good leaders, um, both in business and in politics and in nonprofits, because I think with good leadership, uh, we can really withstand and even uh, conquer some of these things. And the other way around, leadership support there, you know, as you talked about resilience and, you know, the, the culture, leaders need to support their um, the rest of their organization, their employees too, right? Uh, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that I talk about in my book is that when you have these kinds of what I call either responsible or enlightened leaders, they are actually not only setting the tone from the top uh, in a verbal way, but they're walking the talk by providing the resources, the budget, the structures, so that, you know, the crisis managers, the business continuity experts, the risk managers can all do their job um, without those resources and support. Uh, that job cannot be done. So it's absolutely a two-way street. And on that, we've come to the end of our show. Andrea, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and time with us. And congratulations on the book, Gloom to Boom. As I say, you know, I've got it here. It's in my hand right now. Uh, I'm probably going to reach out at the beginning of the uh, new year and uh, have you come back to talk about a few more things in here as I start pulling pulling out information. (laughs) I really appreciate that, Alex. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you and uh, look forward to uh, further iterations. And meanwhile, everybody stay safe and healthy and uh, see you in the next year. Yes. So thank you once again. And to everybody out there, um, if there's something you want us to talk about or you want to be on the show, reach out, talk to me, and uh, we'll see about getting you here. Otherwise, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We'll see you here next week.